0: Just that jump that. jump in, 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 that in, jump 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 that jump in, jump in, shoot my shot this that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, right around swallow my trees. This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, sunlight swimming in the street. Just that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, T4 like Kobe. Just that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, shoot my shot, dance beat. This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, right around swallow my trees. I be ballin' the music like Kobe. How many greatest ever do it? They don't know it. Straight from the streets where the shots can't blow. I came from the bottom where they hate to see you blow. Mama always told me I'm a science so I glow. I came from the block where I stood 10 so came a long way now This is
1: 1252 Sports Chicago What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of Turtles Take here on 1252 Sports Chicago. We've got a lot of stuff to cover with you guys tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit of everything. We're going to start out talking the Bears and their rookie draft class. We're going to move on to talking some Bulls and then we're going to close the show talking about the White Sox and Cubs. So we got a little bit of everything going on here tonight. Lots of stuff going on here in Chicago ready to get into it with you guys. Thank you for joining us. Vince, how are we doing tonight? I'm good, bro. How you doing? Doing well, man. Another uh, busy week, another crazy week here in Chicago. Uh, ready to see what your opinion is on a lot of these things that have been going down over the last week. You know, it's been a little while since we've got to talk uh, just you and I. So quick note there for the guest or for the fans, we are guest free tonight, rather. So uh, we're going to just chalk it up on these topics and uh, have some good discussion. Please be interactive. Please feel free to join in in the chat. We'll take your questions and comments, and uh, we should have a good time tonight.
0: Hell yeah, it's going to be a great show. Like you said, there's a lot to go over. It's been an interesting week. Tony LaRusso gave us about <laughs> an, you know two-hour shows worth of tidbits throughout the week himself. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, I could go on and on about that, but you know, let's get started here. Let's stay on topic. We'll get to Tony LaRusa and I'll give you my rant about how I feel about him a little bit later in the show.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, hell yeah. It's gonna be good.
1: With that being said, let's dive right in, man. This Bears team. So a lot of things have been going on recently with rumors and talk. We obviously got to see a little bit of Justin Fields for the first time in rookie minicamp. I just kind of want to start there, Vince. What are your thoughts on how Justin Fields was at rookie minicamp? And I guess do you hold any merit to uh, how you saw him play in minicamp, being that it's just rookies at this point and doesn't mean anything for the future moving forward? I
0: talk rookie minicamp up to the same as like a pro day. It's scripted for the guys to succeed. If you can't succeed at rookie minicamp, you got bigger problems. You're not, it's not It's not a full practice. It's not a full defense. You're not trying to figure things out. You're literally just out there trying to get timing down with your receivers. That being right. said, every single report we've seen come back about Justin Fields is this kid is special. This kid is going to be different. This kid is a game changer. This kid is already showing why they traded up to get him. So, you know, it, it's nice to see somebody that the Bears not only traded up to get, but they charge up to get that. Everybody is thinking this kid's going to be a superstar. Um, you know, we're going to go up against Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. You know, a lot of people forget that Nick Foles is on this roster still. <laughs> whether he is come July 1st, whether he's still on July 2nd, if he's still on that roster, that'll be another story. But I think Justin Fields, they're going to – you know, Matt Nagy came on ESPN Radio and he was talking about we're, we're just going to let it go. We're not going to – we have an idea right now, but the, he's going to decide – how and when he plays. If he comes out there and he's struggling with some reads, then, you know what, he's probably not ready. And he's, you know, he's struggling to get plays, call plays in the huddle. But if he comes in there and he's calling the plays in the huddle and he's getting the plays off and he's making the right decisions, I think we're going to see him a lot sooner than later. So, well, you know, if he's that good and he turns out to be as good as everybody thinks he is, then they're not going to be able to not play him because there's no way they can tell his fan base well, he's ready, he looks the part. Borges is going to sit him just to sit him.
1: Right. And he's Only just going to, be to, able to sit
0: him if he's not ready yet.
1: Yeah, and just to touch on what you said there, I do agree. I think uh, one of the big things with rookie minicamp is just those guys getting to see the field for the first time, obviously getting to be at the facilities really for the first time and experience what it's like to some degree to practice as a Chicago Bear. But, yeah, you can't hold much to it. Uh, obviously, like you said, it's rookies only. It's almost like a pro day. They're s- somewhat scripted to succeed. With that being said, I did like uh, Justin Fields, just his reads that I did see out of the few plays I did see. And again, it's still early, but you know the guy's a natural born leader and you can see that. You can see that in his attitude, his kind of swagger that he possesses on the field, so to speak. And he's He's not really having the mentality that he needs to prove anything to anyone. You know, He has came out and said, I'm going to be fighting for that starting job, which is exactly what you want to hear out of your rookie that you just moved up to draft at number 11. But I think there's tremendous upside for the first time in a long time at the quarterback position. And that's something we really have to remember moving forward is, when was the last time that we were really excited about a quarterback that the Bears had brought in? The day they traded for Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler, right? But even I, I
0: mean, and that was the day they traded for him because that's who we thought we were getting with Jay Cutler. You know, a lot of guys they say the right things at the right times, but when you when you really look at it, if you really watch, you know, obviously everything is Justin Fields right now about the Bears, but when you see his interviews and the things he says, he carries that that sense of bravado, that charisma about him you know, where he, at at the same time where he's telling you, look, I'm not here to prove anybody wrong. The same time he's telling you, but I am here to take the job and I am here to win. You know, there's a, you you heard Trevor Lawrence come out and say, well, you know, I don't go out there for other people. I come out there just to be who I am. You know, whereas you see Justin Fields come out and say, look, I'm going to be who I am, but who I am, I'm built for this. I'm, I'm here. I'm built for this. I'm ready. I'm ready to take this job. I didn't come here to sit behind people. I didn't come here to, to, change the the franchise down the road. I came here to change the franchise now. And, you know, if for the first time the bears have a guy like that and he, not only does he talk it, but he looks the part too. You know, everybody's really excited about Mitch, you know, early going, he looked the part, he looked like he could be pretty good. But every time you heard Mitch, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, I need to turn the TV, we turned the TVs off in Hallis hall because they were bothering Mitch or, you know, he couldn't block out that outside noise or he was focusing on interception, man. Throw that bitch and let it go. If you you, you throw a pick, man, Peyton Manning threw like 36 interceptions or 30-some interceptions his his rookie year, first two seasons, and look at him. You're not going to learn if you don't throw the ball. So, you know, he isn't afraid to throw the ball. And you know what? We saw the the highlight video has been rampant about Darnell Mooney continuously getting overthrown, you know, when he's wide open down the field. Fields loves right. to throw deep, he, can, he has the arm to throw deep, and he has the accuracy. So I really think that this kid is is just primed and ready to go. I, I As time goes on, I see this more and more. I'll be more surprised if he doesn't win this job by week one. Well, and that's the thing. you know. Matt Nagy can say that we have this developmental plan in place. And he has to. He has to say that, look, we're going to be patient with him. We're going to do the right things. If he came out today or the day they drafted him and said he's our starter – Everybody would have been like, damn, really? What if he's not ready? Right. We um, talked about this show. You can't – once you go to him, you can't go back. You can't go to Justin Fields week one and then say, well, you know what? He's not quite ready where we thought he was. We're going to pull back down and go to Andy Dalton in two weeks and then go back to him later. You can't. Once you give him the keys, no. it's over. He's going to sink or swim. So it's they owe it to the Bears. They owe it to the fans. They owe it to Justin Fields to make sure – that he's ready before they go to him. And when he is ready, like, the, like Matt Nagy said, like everybody said, the players are going to know it, the coaches are going to know it, everybody's going to know it. It's going to be obvious. It's not one of those things where it's like, well, maybe he's ready, maybe he's not. He either is or he isn't. And it's very blatant in both ways, that he either that he is or he isn't. You know, Mitch looked like he was. It turned out that he wasn't. It was very blatant that he wasn't ready, or not ready, but that he just wasn't that guy. You know, Justin, right. we're, we're going to see what he's got. He's got, you know – All the baggage that comes with him as an Ohio State quarterback, you know, but it only has to be wrong until it's right.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna stop you there. I just wanna say that is my least favorite narrative when it comes to NFL rookies, is they played for this school, so
0: they're bad. They're gonna be bad. it, It made a lot more sense and it carried a lot more weight 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Now you see, guys are going wherever the hell they want to go. Guys are going somewhere because they like the, they like, you know, guys are going to Oklahoma because they like that they wear Jordan brand. Other guys right. are going to, you know, Oregon's not the powerhouse they used to be, but they keep people go to Oregon because they like the different uniforms they wear. You know, everybody's just going wherever they want because they're only going and they're trying to get to the NFL anyways. It's not about where you go. It's, you know, it's hardly now does it come down to, oh, well, You know, he went to this school, so he's got to be good. I mean, look at you. You're a huge Alabama fan. And some of the guys that absolutely dominated Alabama, they get to the draft and guys are like, well, you know, look at Dylan Moses. Look at some of these guys that, you know, were studs, but they're just – it's the NFL. It's different. You know, so you can be great at any school and you can be horrible at any school. You know, who – what quarterback would you have trusted from Texas Tech before Patrick Mahomes? Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that
1: up because that's, you know, obviously that's prime example number one when it comes to that stereotype just being irrelevant uh, in regards to this guy came from this school. You know, people can say, oh, when's the last time a great quarterback came out of Ohio State? It doesn't matter. Justin Fields is a completely different player and he's there to prove himself and be the and be the quarterback of the future for this Bears organization. And I truly believe that, you know, as I've said, we have promise and upside for the first time. I truly believe that this kid probably will win the job early. I'm not going to go as boldly and say that he starts week one. I think it'll be probably around the week four or five mark. Uh, But again, it depends on how ready he is. You know, We saw a similar situation with Russell Wilson in the Seattle Seahawks when he came into the league. Yeah, they said, "Oh, we we're gonna sit him. You know, we just paid this guy a whole bunch of money to be our quarterback. Russ is gonna sit and learn. And then it was just so clear that Russ was the superior quarterback in that situation that he ended up getting the starting role. And I think that's going to be a similar situation here. Yeah, now I, 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 I don't agree more. I don't think that we see Fields Week One just because I think Nagy is going to be more hesitant than." I think another coach would be with him just because he knows, you know, this is pretty much Matt Nagy's last chance at getting the quarterback position, right? I think in what, Chicago. If
0: this kid is as special as everybody keeps saying he is and everybody thinks he is. He's going to be the starter week one. He's going to show it in camp. He's going to show it in preseason. He's going to show it every time he gets the ball. He's going to show it a little more and more. And they're not going to, they're going to see it and they're going to be like, you know what? We can't afford not to go with him. We can't afford not to roll the dice with this kid and let him be the guy that saves our team. Let him be the guy that carries the Bears to that next level.
1: And don't get me wrong. I would love nothing more as a Chicago Bears fan to see that. I mean, I don't think anyone would be upset if he's truly ready, if we see him go out on the field week one. But it's a big if and it's not a big if specifically for Justin Fields it's a big if for any rookie quarterback when they come into the league right i mean absolutely it's always a chance and you just you have to see how they develop the things that i like with Justin Fields is that he's obviously played on the biggest stages you know under the brightest lights so to speak and has been successful he was the only reason that ohio state was even in the game against alabama in the championship
0: yeah you like to see guys that the bigger the stage, the bigger the moment, the, the, the higher they rise their level of play. You know, oh, definitely. You a lot of guys that, yeah, they've played at the highest level and they've played on that biggest stage, but what have they done? You know, it goes back to, for me, for to Deshaun Watson. You know, and that's why I still, you know, not to go back to it, but I I don't know how you pass on a guy like Deshaun Watson, who back-to-back years hung 500 against Alabama, who is the best defense in the country, and at that time was Thank dominant. Thank you. I mean, they were – you know, it wasn't just like, oh, they're a pretty good team. It was they, the best team, and he won one, lost one, but he put 500 up against them two two years in a row. I just don't right. know how you see that production, and you go, you know what, I'm going to take the kid from North Carolina that didn't even start <laughs> till his last year and only started 10 games.
1: You know, but, even – Looking back,
0: even John Fox was scratching his head at the Mitch Trubisky. Well, that's what, that's what started the whole John Fox thing. And the friction between him and Ryan Pace was John Fox stood on his soapbox and said, hey, I wanted Deshaun Watson. I never wanted Mitch. Right. And let's not forget, Matt Nagy never wanted Mitch. No, Ryan exactly. Pace and I- Mitch. Ryan Pace thought that he was, he was the smartest dude in the room and he was going to get it on everybody and he was going to move up to get – Mitch Trubisky, because he was that much better than everybody else. And unfortunately, it blew up in his face. But that being said, if we go into this year and or even going into next season, you've got Justin Fields as your starting quarterback, Tevin Jenkins, your starting left tackle. Some of these other guys pan out now. You know, that it, it pro sports, man, it's very much a what have you done for me lately? People forget about a lot of things as long as you start winning football games. You know, you go to next year and the Bears got excitement about, oh, look at the pieces they put together. And they use some salary cap money and they go get a few other pieces. And all of a sudden, the narrative no longer is, well, it's the Bears. They screwed up. They took Mitchell Trubisky. It becomes the narrative becomes, oh, look at Ryan Pace. He moved up to go get Justin Fields. And look at him. He's a stud. And then he went and got Tevin Jenkins. He moved up to get him. And he's protecting Justin Fields. Oh, last year they traded up to get David Montgomery. And now he's the starting running back all those things, when you start to see that Ryan Pace traded up for this guy, traded up for that guy, traded up for this guy, if you start winning football games, that narrative goes from, man, we need a new GM, we need a head coach, to, oh, they just need the right pieces. And unfortunately for Mitchell Trubisky, he's going to be that piece that people always say, that's what was holding us back. If they if they go out and they're competitive this year, and I'm not talking about a Super Bowl, just competitive, it's automatic, especially if it's Justin Fields back there, it automatically, the narrative is going to go to, we'll see it was just Mitch Trubisky that was holding them back. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. In football games, people are going to love it. If they don't, it's going to be more of the same, and people are going to be calling for changes from the top down.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, something really important that you just touched on there, Vince, is it is very much what have you done for me lately when it comes to this league. And, again, we'll see what Matt Nagy's able to do as a play caller with Justin Fields. That's the thing that I'm – most concerned and interested in at the same time moving into this season if Justin Fields goes out there week one and obviously in the start of the year Matt Nagy's going to keep the playbook dialed back a little bit one would think just to you know keep him in his comfort zone so to speak until he's really ready to open that offense up a hundred percent but Justin Fields is comfortable throwing
0: the deep ball. I think yeah. we've seen that. Well, it's, it's It might be his best ball that he throws is a deep right. ball.
1: <laughs> and that's, you know, so, just something that we haven't seen since Cutler, really. Cutler did have a great deep ball. He also had that big arm where he just threw dumb interceptions 50 yards down the field. And you're like, what the hell are you doing? But at times, you know, Cutler did have a lot better accuracy than any other quarterback we've had it as of late as Bears fans. And I don't even want to look back that far. You know, we're talking about rookies. We're talking about the draft class. So
0: before with that, then, I just want to say one thing. You I thought you had brought up something very interesting. And that's the the play calling of Matt Nagy and him as a play caller. I yes. think and I could be totally off base here. He could it could be the same offense we've seen since he's been here. But I think that we have yet to see the real Matt Nagy playbook. I think we've yet to see okay. him make his real play calls because if you look at the players they've added this year, the one thing that stands out is speed. All speed, yeah. You know, and they in a, the last few years, you didn't see them add guys like that. They added more of the possession guys. And I wonder if that was because they felt that Mitch didn't do what they have now and maybe even Andy Dalton, you know, he could throw the ball or Justin Fields. You know, they've got out, they've added quite a few guys with speed. Marquise Goodwin, Demiri Bird, you know, uh, obviously they have Darnell Mooney. Even Al Robinson isn't slow. And then you add right. Daz Newsome. He's not a burner, but he he he's fast between the numbers, you know. So you see oh, everything they do is, is for speed. So I'd have to think that we might be really on the brink of seeing the true Matt Nagy playbook and it's going to mirror some of that, some of what you see in Kansas City the the tight your favorite the tight end sweep, the tight end shuffle, Talk the uh, tight
1: end sweep, the I jail, hate the, the tight end sweep.
0: sweep, the the jailbreak screens. I Think you are going to see a lot of that stuff, and you know you are going to have somebody deep because they've got speed now all over the place. Yeah, you know, I just want to
1: touch on that. I do think that. You know, you are probably spot on when it comes to the fact that we haven't seen the best out of Matt Nagy's play-calling abilities. I just, I don't understand some of the personnel usage that we had in the past, and I don't necessarily understand. Here's my thing with the tight end sweep. It's great in situational football when you use it effectively. But if your running back gets you 80 yards down the field and you're in the red zone, and the first play you run is a tight end sweep, rather than at least giving that back the ball on first down. Yeah. There's an issue with that. Yeah, no, honestly, I think you're... I think every time you get to the red zone, you should be handing the ball off on first down. That's just oh, my philosophy.
0: You know, the, the thing to keep in mind is that's not who Matt Nagy is. You know, even when he was in Kansas City, this is the guy that stopped running the ball in the second half with Kareem Hunt when he was running all over people. You know, it, it, yeah. it, his he wants to throw the ball, and he wants to throw it a lot, and he wants to be creative. And unfortunately, when those guys with the creative play callers, sometimes they get a little too cute, and they they yeah. tend to do it at the wrong time. So we'll see. You know, hopefully, uh, they're winning a lot of games, and it doesn't matter. He can be as cute as he wants because they're up big. You know, but we'll hopefully <laughs> yeah, as I've, as Justin Fields develops, so does Matt Nagy as a play caller.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're putting up consistently over thirty points per game. I'd say even consistent over 28 per game, you know, with the caliber of defense that we have and hopefully with Sean Desai backing the defense this year rather than Pagano, we see a little bit more of that Vic Fangio-style aggressive defense that we're used to. I mean, that's one thing, not to veer off topic here, but when it comes to the Bears, man, over the last couple seasons with uh, Coach Pagano, he was so timid and the just the opposite of aggressive when it came to some of his blitzing schemes. Yeah. And just the the way that he used uh not only Khalil Mack, but then Quinn when he came in. Those guys are dogs that are there to rush the passer. Put them at the quarterback every single play, man. I don't care. Yeah. That's what you're paying those guys to do is get around the edge and sack a quarterback cause a bad throw, cause a fumble, just put pressure. That's what those guys are for. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of what Coach Pagano was doing was trying to use them not as aggressive. I mean, obviously, Mack was still rushing the passer a significant amount of the time. But I think uh, with a different scheme, with a little bit more blitzes and a little bit of pressure being taken off of those guys – it could speak volumes to what the defense does. So, you know, you pair a Justin Fields offense that's putting up 28-plus per game with a hopefully elite-level defense again. Don't get me wrong, we we are getting a little bit older in certain a- aspects of the defense, but we do have, a, we have uh, one big name in the middle that didn't even play last year. I don't know if anybody even realizes that, so... You know, uh, with COVID
0: concerns, we
1: didn't have. Was it Eddie Goldman was out last year because of COVID concerns?
0: Yeah, he, you know, he opted out. He didn't. He chose not to play. A lot of players around the league did. Um, You know, so having him back, you know, that it it takes the pressure off of the D line and Akeem Hicks. You know, Akeem Hicks can be that disruptor. Because you've got Eddie Goldman in the middle to shut down the run. You've got Eddie Goldman, you know, pushing the center back into the lap of the quarterback. You didn't have that last year. So you had a lot of um, Akeem Hicks getting double teamed, Khalil Mack getting double teamed, you know, or just offensive lines making them go around them enough where the quarterback could get rid of the ball or, you know, the quarterback could step up when the pressure did come because there was nobody in the middle. So we'll see. You know, hopefully Eddie Goldman comes back in place. Hopefully he's in shape. Hopefully he looks really good, and he can go back to disrupting like he used to. You never know when a guy takes a year off what kind of condition he's going to come back when he finally does come back to the team. So we'll see. Yeah, only time will tell, right? Absolutely.
1: Uh, Before we move on to our next topic, though, I do want to ask one more Bears-related question to you, Vince. Who is your
0: favorite Bear out of this rookie class besides Justin Fields? You know I mean I think it, I think it's got to be Tevin Jenkins. You know, you see the guy, you see the tape, you know, and yeah, it's college, it's tape, everybody I always I always say everybody looks great on a highlight film. If a guy doesn't right. look good on his highlight film, don't take him cuz it's his highlight film. He's supposed to look good. But, you know, when you see the the meanness, the nastiness, the the aggressiveness, I think it's something that Bears fans can really latch onto is some a guy that they want to they want you know not only follow, but a guy that they want to root for and a guy it's hard to root for an offensive lineman. You know, you, it's usually, it's that that old saying, if you're not talking about the offensive lineman, he must be doing pretty good. But Tevin Jenkins is like that Quentin Nelson type where you look for him, you look for him to make those kind of blocks. So I hope to see some of those big aggressive blocks and we can, you know, have our version of Quentin Nelson.
1: Yeah. And I'd be really interested uh, not only with him, but with uh, Borum. I want to see, him. I think he's my biggest upside player that we got later in the draft. He's obviously versatile. He came out and said, I can play any position. And I think that that speaks volume to the kind of player he is and the attitude that he has. And he's, don't get me wrong, he's a developmental guy. He's not obviously anywhere near on the same level. You know who he
0: is, and I I hate to say this because I already know Half the people who I who hear me say this are going to take it the wrong way, but he's Charles Leno. He he's a guy that was taken at the end of the draft, late in the draft, with potential who could play a couple spots, and you're hoping he turns into something. You know the, right. the thing with Charles Leno when Charles Leno first started playing for the Bears and he first got thrust into that action, he was okay. People were like, "Hey, he's not bad for a seventh round pick." But then he never got better. He never got past that. You know, he stayed at right. that average level. So when you stay at average for, what was he with the Bears, seven years? Eight yep, years? Something like that. So when you stay at that average level, that's when fans start to go, okay, well, now it's on you. Now it's on you to get better. So hopefully Borum is a guy that he could get in there. He can get the work and he can get better every day, and he can get a little better, a little better, and next you know, he's hopefully builds into a starting offensive, you know, right tackle, right guard, whatever it turns out he is. And I'll tell you what, the one thing we're going to find out, we're going to find out about James Daniels. We're going to find out about some of these guys on the line, Sam Mustafer. Yeah, he, yep. looked good. he looked good last year. He controlled the line last year, but, you know, it was against some weaker opponents by the time he got in there. So now right. being the guy – We'll see. Can he hold on to that job? Because the problem Sam Musfer is going to have is the Bears don't have to be locked into him at, at center. Cody Whitehair no. can play center. James Daniels can play center. You know, they don't – I know a lot of people don't like James Daniels the center. Olin Creed, who a lot of people respect as far as his mind and his opinion, has said he's the best one of them all. He's the best offensive lineman the Bears have. Obviously, yeah. that was pre jenkins but – You know, that was said. So we'll see. James Daniel, he was playing really good before he got hurt last year. So that's another thing, though. When you're a pro, you got to learn how to not be hurt. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're hurt, you're hurt. But why do other guys never get hurt? So sometimes it's just a matter of being able to play through things where you're not losing those reps. You're still getting them because you're playing whether you're dinged up or not. So we'll see. You know, there's I don't want to jump too much into the the Borum basket and say that he's going to be great, he's going to be this, he's going to be that. Um, I thought there were maybe some other guys that might have been better picks at that time, but he did look really, okay. really good against you know your Alabama. He he gave up no pressures, no nothing. So we'll see. He's going to have to prove it every day though, because there's guys could take his job at a drop of a hat.
1: Oh, absolutely. I don't I don't want to put too much stake into him, but it is promising to have another player that can be versatile. Like you said, I I don't want to rip your Charles Leno comparison there too much. I do get what you're trying to say, and and you did say it the right way. I mean, he is a lower-round guy that has some upside and we hope can be developed into a good offensive lineman. You know, that's one thing with as much as I was ready to fire Charles Leno these last two seasons, we did get average play out of him. For being a seventh round pick, we got seven years out of the guy. That's pretty good for a seventh round pick. So, well, I
0: think you know. I think the other thing a lot of people have been begging for with this Matt Nagy offense is, and the coaching staff is make get uh, seeing somebody get better. We see a yes. lot of guys that show the potential, show the promise, but then they don't take that next step. You know, Anthony Miller is a guy that, you know, he looked great right out of the gate and then just never could get over that hump. You know, so guy, you, your natural thing then is you see a guy like Darnell Mooney. Okay, now I need to see him take the next step. You know, often – Yes. Know, whether it's Daniels or Whitehair or Mustafer, Bars, whoever it is, I need to see you take that next step. And I, and I goes then to the the coaching staff. As a coaching staff, you can be a great play caller, but we need to see you make somebody better. What are you doing that's making – Believe, gives us the you know the the confidence that you can take somebody and make them a better football player
1: right and that's something before we wrap up the bears here that's something that i hope we see out of coach castillo and the offensive line this year i know coach castillo is very much so a developmental guy he likes to take those young guys and develop them into the type of offensive line that he wants to run so I think it's it's really important when you know we look obviously at the upside that Jenkins has, the possible upside that Borum has, and then you've got to remember both Mustafer and Daniels are still relatively young, even Whitehair's on the younger side. So realistically, this line could be uh, transformed into something that could be really well gelled and work really well together under Coach Castillo. So I'm excited yeah. to see what he does here in his second year as the Bears offensive lineman. Yeah, coach. I think
0: that's part of the excitement. You know, as you said before we wrap this up, I think that's part of the excitement that goes into the Bears is not only are they do they have a lot of potential, but they're young. So if some of these guys click, man, they could be together for a long time. So if, you know, if somebody's offensive linemen they find a good, a good set five and a good – you know, the receivers are young. Cole Komet, you know, a lot of people were were skeptical of that pick last year. They they didn't do anybody any favors or do themselves any favors, I should say, by not really seeing him on the field till towards the end of the year. Um, but, you know, if, if he can turn into, obviously, that Travis Kelsey role in that offense is an important role. It's what makes or breaks that offense. So if he becomes yes. a guy that is a legitimate threat every time they have the ball, well, then – you know, now you have to a game plan for him, and he becomes a very valuable pick. You know, they went with Cole Komet when they could have went with an Antoine Winfield Jr. Somebody, some of these other young, you know, safeties. God uh-huh. help it! Some of these young safeties that could have really helped the team. So now, you know, he right. showed his last year, but now he's going to have to take what we've been talking about all night. He's got to take that next step. He's got to be able to show that he can yes. be a legitimate threat in the offense, not just out on the field.
1: Oh, I agree. There's a lot of young, promising pieces on this Bears team, and it'll be interesting to see what we do here through the offseason when uh, veteran camp starts up and all those things. When I'm really excited to see preseason. I actually want to go out to a preseason game for the first time in a long time to see some of these rookie towns play. Uh, Just get out there on the field and showcase what their talent level is for us. So it'll be interesting. But with that being said, guys, we are going to move on from the Bears. We're going to start talking some Bulls as well as the NBA because playoffs are starting. We got the play-in and much more to talk about there. So before we get into the NBA, we are going to take a quick word from our sponsor, the Jonathan Darren team with Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group.
2: Hi, I'm Jonathan Darren, licensed real estate broker with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group in Homer Glen. Are you looking to buy or sell? Have you been disappointed in the past? The Jonathan Darren team with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group focuses on providing you with a concierge level of service during the process of buying or selling. We are a service oriented team with a fresh and professional approach to selling real estate. Our goal is to combine knowledge, skills, and passion to exceed our clients' expectations and, most of all, we truly care. We are a knowledgeable real estate team focused on offering expertise and innovative solutions for our clients. The Jonathan Darren team has five full service real estate brokers and a dedicated full time marketer servicing all of Chicagoland. We will customize a detailed plan around your timeline for a sale, purchase, investment, estate, or other needs. Real estate transactions can be stressful, but don't need to be. Let us handle it for you. Visit our website, homesbyjdt.com, or call 708. 708- 308 1938 today expect better in real estate choose the jonathan darren team
1: all right guys and we are back again that was a quick word from our sponsor the jonathan darren team with the coldwell banker real estate group if you're looking to buy a home in the area be sure to reach out to john and his team they're the best when it comes to real estate in the area now with that being said vince we got a lot of Bears talk in there, a lot of good talk about this rookie class. I'm glad we got the chance to touch on that. But, man, the NBA NBA playoffs are like nothing else in the NBA. I mean, just the level of play, the level of competition we see is unparalleled to almost anything that we get to see in the regular season. With that being said, we have a little bit of a different dynamic this year with the play-in games, right? We've got extra teams uh, fighting for a spot in the playoffs. I just want to open up with what your thoughts are on the play-in game. Do you think it's a good or bad thing for the NBA? And do you think it's something they'll adopt moving forward?
0: Um, I do think it's something they they will adopt moving forward because you see the play-in games are two games, one at a time, primetime TV, means the NBA selling commercial spots, they're selling the rights to the game, all of that, they're getting more money for. I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest. Um, You know, the the thought that a 10 seed could wind up making the playoffs and a 7 seed didn't, because that 7 seed lost two games, Uh, I mean, I get it, like, if you want to be in, then you need to win, but, and it's exciting, I guess, but I just – I'm not a big fan of it. Um, we obviously – we got a great game between the Lakers and Warriors, but, you know, the other games are both blowout. Or, uh, you right. know, the, the Boston game, you saw why some of the teams didn't deserve to be there. So, we'll, you know, I, I guess I, – I mean, I don't hate it. I just – it doesn't do anything for me personally.
1: Yeah, and, you know, just to touch on that as well real quick, I would say something similar. I don't – necessarily like the idea of it because as you said you've got the potential for a 10 seed to knock out a seven and it it really comes down to the skills gap right I think one thing that the NFL does right and there's a few things that I believe they do very wrong one thing I believe the NFL does right is limiting the playoffs to the teams that are normally there now obviously we had the extra wild card team this year I don't know if that's something they'll go with moving forward or not, but, you know, that's one thing. You've got the top six teams from each side normally that are really uh, high-competition, high-level players, and you get the best games out of it. Now, back to the NBA, if you've got, you know, 10 teams, that 10th team is going to be – the Bulls almost made the playoffs because of the play-in tournament. I'll put that into perspective, and I'm a huge Bulls fan – but I don't think the Bulls necessarily deserve to be there this year, especially with the way that they played down the stretch without Zach. Now that being said.
0: I think the big thing is, you know, you see a seven seed like Boston. Boston lost Jalen Brown. He got hurt at the end of the year. Let's say that they lost Jason Tatum because he got hurt at the end of the year. Obviously their best player. So now you lose your best player and a team that you were better than the whole year And you earned that spot of being a playoff team as a seven seed, an eight seed, whatever you want to call it. And now the nine and 10 teams who just happen to be nine and 10 because they were better than everybody else that was bad. Now they get a shot and they can beat a team like that because it's one game. So you can beat them because maybe Tatum is, is out with, you know, an injury or, you know, whoever is out, you know, a team like Charlotte, I, I'm a big Hornet fan, probably because I'm a big MJ fan and I always want to see his team do well. Um, I also okay. like the mellow ball. I think he's got a a lot of talent. These would be fun to watch for the next 10 years. Um, but you saw that they were nowhere near the level of play of even Washington. And Washington right. in my mind, is not that good. So you see, when you're that when you're that bad, I just if you really want the best basketball, then go get the best teams. And for the most part, those are going to be your top eight teams, especially in the East, man. I mean, I guess the West is as good as it used to be, but you start getting down to those seven, eight. I mean, you got Washington. talk about a team that makes the playoffs with uh, more than 15 games below 500. Like, why do I want to see that team? Why do I want to see that team in a seven-game series? Now, the only thing that they're lucky for is that Russell Westbrook, whether you love him or hate him, he's worth watching. So, and everybody yes. likes to see upsets, so everybody tunes in to see that. But it, you know, if you're if you're an eight seed and you lose because that one game, it's like, well, I just spent, I guess this year seventy two games, not eighty two, but I just spent seventy two games being in the top eight, and now because I wasn't better than for one game, I'm out. Like it's not even it, like it's a. a three-game series a five-game series it's one game I they not think it right. had one game
1: yeah no I would agree with you on that I think that in that from that perspective it is kind of a little bit of a disadvantage and I get it you know go to the playoffs you got to win in the playoffs but I think uh the regular playoff structure is where they need to keep it now will they adopt more teams you know with the play-in moving forward I absolutely believe they will it's a money grab at the end of the day and, you know, more games in primetime, more commercial slots. Like you said, it's more money for the NBA. So why wouldn't they do it? Unfortunately, exactly. that's the direction that it's headed, whether it's the right direction or not. I just think, you know, money talks in sports, obviously. And if there's dollars to be made, the owners and the the league's going to listen. So uh, you touched on the Lakers and Warriors game a little bit. We got a question here in the chat from our guy, Angelo Ace Camacho. Make sure you follow him and uh, check out his show that he does here on 1252, the Sport Court Podcast. Is LeBron soft? And I want to start out with this because this is one of my favorite topics. When I saw his comment in the chat, my energy just rose immediately. LeBron James is softer than puppy shit. You heard Damn. it here first. I the flopping is ridiculous. It's atrocious. That's not basketball, first of all. Secondly, it
0: is basketball today. Se-
1: okay. Secondly,
0: right.
1: when it comes down to it, that that flopping right the dog, there is the enough. didn't me- like
0: LeBron either.
1: No, that <laughs> flopping right there is enough to make me want to look down on LeBron. But when it comes down to it, you're out here talking about. Using quotes from the movie Rocky, I was seeing three hoops and I had to shoot at the one in the middle at, after an eye poke. Get, get out of here, man. If you were really seeing three basketball hoops, you wouldn't have been out there on the court. You know That bullshit right there, that type of narrative, and just I'm going to be such a dominant player and people are going to argue that I'm the greatest of all time. Did Michael Jordan ever walk out on the court and say some shit like that after a game? No. Did Michael, did Michael Jordan ever flop like a whale trying to, <laughs> trying to get a foul? No. My God, the man drove through contact like a Mack truck. Get out of here with that shit. LeBron James is soft. Angelo's even got the emojis up there for me. Softer than puppy shit, man. I don't care. I am not a LeBron James fan. I respect him as a man. I think he's a great person outside of the game of basketball, but I just do not like his attitude on the court at all. It's me, me, me. And give me what I want, or I'll go to another team his entire career. I just I can't respect that. I get it, it's a different game nowadays. People hop from team to team all the time, but I just I don't respect some of the things that he does as a player, and the flopping is a big one. I can't stand that shit, man. I don't know what you think, Vince. So here's but go ahead.
0: I I have struggled with where to fall in place with this whole LeBron debate for his entire career. I respect LeBron as a man. I respect him as a role model. You know, a lot of these players, you've seen them get in different sorts of trouble, and you've never heard that about LeBron. He does a lot of great things off the court. You know, he's got his schools and right, always helping Akron out. I respect that. I respect the fact that even at his age and as long as he's been playing, he's still at the very worst, at the very worst, a top five basketball player in the world. I can't get past the flopping. I can't get past the flopping. I can't get past the constant bitching at the refs, the, the whining, all that stuff. If you're the best player in the world, which for most of his career he was, you don't have to do that. You don't do the flopping. You don't do all the other stuff. You don't do the whining, the the you know the the excuses, the everything else. You don't have to do that. You don't have to remind people how good you are and you don't have to get the extra help because you're already that good. You know, Michael got away with a lot of calls when he played where he there was fouls that he he was able to play more aggressive on defense because they weren't going to call a foul on him. And more fouls that they called that probably shouldn't have been against them. However, you never heard Jordan go out there and say this or say that. Kobe, you didn't get that that same level of stuff from Kobe. If LeBron, who, like I said, for a major part of his career, has been the best player in, in the world, you don't do all that extra shit because it, all it does is take away from your game. You know, it, you it marks the players. To. They need that. They need the extra advantage. So they go after that. You're the best player on the court. No matter what court you walk in or walk out into, then you just go out there and be better than the other guys. And I don't feel he has that on him. I've also felt that you know, whether it's the right basketball moves he makes or not, I felt like he passes too much in the big game situations. I just to me, I just I do when it comes to the actual game of basketball, whether it's trying to get advantage or whatever it is, he does come across soft for that reason.
1: I, I would agree 100%, and I'm glad we see eye-to-eye eye on the flopping thing because I was nervous you were going to come out here and defend the flop. And that's something that I – can't,
0: I can't get past that.
1: No, and that's absolutely. something I can't get past either. It's killed me in recent years. And LeBron's not the only guy that does it, right? No, Everybody around the league does it. You play NBA 2K, there's a there's a flop button, for God's right. sakes, on it. I mean – Absolutely. Got, <laughs>
0: you know, there's some cool ones. But, as you know, like I said, he – if if a if a middle of the road player or a just good player or better than average player does that, it, it you you don't really look at it. But when the best player in the world does it, it looks bad. It looks you know it, the flopping yes. in soccer is so bad that people make fun of it. And now the basketball has gotten just as bad. You know when there's a highlight reel of all of the LeBron plays, and then after there's a highlight reel of all of his flops. You know, and some of them are just flat out like guys don't even make contact with him. And he's like, (laughs) oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's jumping on the floor like he just got shot with a shotgun. (laughs) And you see that they never even make contact with him. Like, to me, that just is always it's all I've always been able to get right up to that middle line with LeBron and never actually cross over to a LeBron fan because of all that stuff. I think all that bullshit takes away from who – somebody who truly is one of the best two basketball players to ever play in the NBA because of all the extra bullshit.
1: Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I honestly couldn't be happier that we feel the same way about the flop because to me it takes away – we talk a lot about the integrity of the game in other sports, and we're going to get into that a little bit later when we talk baseball, but it really takes away the integrity of the game, man. Nobody – I'm not paying as a basketball fan. I'm not paying $100 to get a decent seat at the United Center to go out there and watch Zach Levine flop on the court. I would be disgusted. I would boo my own player if I saw him flop on the court like
0: that. Well, you know, and like when you say people who spend their money everything, did you, you know, obviously we just had the Hall of Fame inductions and, you know, Kobe was, 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 uh, you know, entered the Hall of Fame and everything like that, and his wife said that, you know, she used to ask him, man, why do you why do you play duty injuries if they hurt so bad? And he right. said, because what if this is the one time that somebody saved up all their money they have because they could go to one game and they can't they chose to come see me and I'm exactly. not going to play. Now, you know, obviously it's not the same thing, but what if they paid all that money? You know, I saved up my money I, I my you know, if my son wants to go see a basketball game, I'm like, hey, you know, we could go to one game. Who do you want to go see? And he says, LeBron James. And we go, and this dude's flopping around and not playing, you know, resting and all this other stuff. It's like it just – to me, it's just – I understand that the game is not what it used to be. I understand right. in sports, they've now learned that, hey, maybe it's not so smart to play every single game and save myself for the playoffs. But when you it, – it's hard not to, you know, really focus on that So When you see, like, the, the, the charts – For Jordan's seasons, year after year, 82 games, 82 games, 81 games, 82 games. And these guys, you know, aren't even playing 65 sometimes.
1: Yeah, you know, and that's something I want to touch on too because it does go back to what you said a little bit in regards to what if that's the only game that you get to go to in the season. And none of these stars are playing. You know, you look at a team like the Brooklyn Nets and I don't want to beat the dead horse on them because they do have so much superstar level talent on that team. But, man, if I go out to a Nets game and the entire bench is starting the game because Kyrie wants to sit and Durant wants to sit, so maybe you get to see James Harden out there. Maybe not. You know, Maybe all three of them are sitting on the bench. You know, Blake Griffin's out there or something. So you still get to see some talent. But if you're truly a Brooklyn Nets fan, you want to go out there and you want to see all those guys on the court together. Well, I, think- I get I get wanting to preserve your body for injury, you know, and well, from injury and for the playoffs. I, I do understand that. And I get it's about player health and it's about player safety. But come on, man. Like you said, Jordan played the entire season, you know, many, many years throughout his career. He didn't miss a game, and they were consistently at that upper echelon level. You know, those 90s Bulls teams are some of the greatest to ever do it. The greatest to ever do it, in my opinion, some would argue. But, you know, realistically, I don't think that what we're doing today in the NBA is good for the sport. I think it's taking away from the game because, you know, you don't get to go out and see your favorite player when you go out to a game necessarily. You don't know until the lineups are out. Especially in the case of Brooklyn, you didn't know from a day to day basis who was going to be out there in the starting lineup because this guy wants to take the day off, Kyrie's, you know, wanting to take the day off, so he's going to sit on the bench. Well, okay, we get to see James Harden. There's a certain level of chemistry that, you know, has to come from playing on the court together. I don't care how much you practice together. This practice, we talking about practice. Uh, I don't care how much you how much chemistry you get in the practice, in the gym, it definitely takes a lot of chemistry away from players when they don't play consistently together on the court at that highest stage. Our guy Angelo here saying NBA ratings were low this year. That's some of the reason the NBA needs to do something to fix this. I definitely agree. I think that we could see the NBA kind of take a similar route to what baseball has, where we start to see a decline and but in reverse, because in baseball, it's, you know, the older fans are still the ones that are engaged and it's harder to engage the younger fans. I think we'd see, we see an opposite in the NBA where as the younger fans who don't know so much what the league was like at one time are still interested, but you know, the guys that are 25 plus and have seen what, you know, great basketball was in the nineties and early two thousands to what great basketball is now, Kind of lose interest. I mean, I know our guy, Fat Mike, here at 1252 can't stand the NBA. And I understand the reasons why. Don't get me wrong. I'll still always watch the Bulls. I'll always support them, but I'm not dropping everything I'm doing on the weekend to sit down and watch an NBA playoff game. I'll check the score. I'll see what's going on in the game, but it's not something that I have to dedicate my time to exclusively. Now, when it comes to the NFL, NFL on Sundays, Thursdays, Mondays, whenever the Bears are playing, I'm dropping everything and I'm in front of that TV the entire game watching every play religiously, so to speak. But it's not it's just something that with the NBA, I can't I can't get behind the direction that it's moving. And I hope that some things change over the next couple of years, but I just don't see it getting better with the current situation and the way that players are handling sitting out as well as the flops, and just the weak defense kills me too. It's it's a completely different league, and I don't like it. Some folks might like it, but it's just not for me, man.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you, you touched on some really good points there. You know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's kind of the exception, man, because like you said, you you don't see KD, you don't see Kyrie, but you get Harden. You don't see Harden and Kyrie, but you get KD. You you know, you get Blake Griffin. You get uh, – Right, right you know, everybody else they brought in. I think you look at a situation like a team like Toronto, who doesn't have a lot of stars on it, you know, towards the end of the year, man, they were sitting everybody and you, you know, it right. was, it was rest. Well, why are you resting players with three games left? You know, especially a team that's not going to the playoffs. What are you resting them for? You're resting them for the off season? You know, it's like, well, I saved up all my money to come see this this team play and now I'm going to see the, the guys that nobody's ever heard of because the top seven players aren't playing tonight or I'm going right. to not only that, but I'm going to see my team not even have a chance to win because we're not going to play our guys. So I agree right. with you. I agree with what our guy Angelo said. I think the, the NBA has to do something and, it, you know, it's going to be one of those things where the players don't like it. The league doesn't like it, but they, you got to do something because this shit's out of hand. You know, the, 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 just taking games off is just different than it used to be. It makes, it loses the value of how much a player is, or how different maker he is. You know, a guy. Look at a guy like uh, Jokic from Denver, who plays the Joker every game. You know, and he plays at a high level. So and he's a big man. You got, right. you know, Kyrie has come out and said, "Look, I just have other things that interest me." more than playing basketball right now, or on my mind more than playing basketball. And I get it. It, By no means am I telling somebody, look, whatever's going on in the world is not as important as this game you're playing. However, if I'm the owner of that team, I'm paying you to play a game. I'm paying you to play 82 games or in this year, 72 games, and you're not doing that, but yet you're getting paid to do that. So I agree. I, I think it's out of hand.
1: Yeah, I agree. Real quick. Before we move on to baseball, because there's a lot I want to talk about in baseball, so I definitely want to get there. I want to touch real quick on a couple quick topics.
0: Uh, one, who do you think wins the MVP? I think th- I think it's got to be Jokic. I don't see any way that it could be anybody other than him. You know, why is him? Um, I, I mean, the problem with the MVP is it's not what it's called. It's called the Most Valuable Player Award. You take Steph Curry off the Warriors, they're probably the worst team in the NBA. Agreed. So by every definition of the term, he should be the MVP. However, you got a guy like... Jokic, who plays on a good team and has played at a high level, he's the MVP. As much as Steph has done, I think that Jokic is the MVP. He's a he's a walking triple double as a center. Yes, he's not you know some point guard out here. He's literally the center of the team, and he's bringing the ball up court. He's doing everything. Um, I think that Steph is going to get some votes. I think Embiid would have given him a run for his money if he had stayed healthy. I think Harden would have given him a run for his money if he had stayed healthy. You know, he was... Man, when he went to Brooklyn, man, he was putting up the numbers. You know, if he doesn't get hurt and he plays the whole year, there's no no guarantee that he doesn't win it. However, I think with everybody missing the games they did, it's got to go to Jokic. You know, now whether it goes to him or they go for the sexy pick and they go Steph Curry again... That's a whole other story, um, you know, and it would be a big deal if Steph won. He's already won, I believe, two MVPs. I believe this would be yep. his third one. You know, that's pretty rare air to talk about a three MVPs. Um, but I'm going to go with Jokic. I, I, two, I would give it two. Um, Where do you fall on that?
1: I actually have to agree with you. You know, I like to play devil's advocate there. I said, what about Steph? Steph Curry is a great player, and I just want to say, Steph Curry was what the league needed this year. He yeah. was a bright spot, man. I mean, he was out there smiling, having fun when nobody else really was, and that's what basketball should be about—is having fun with the players on your
0: team. And, so and, I got to give. And Steph was who everybody wanted him to be. Everybody said, "Go show me you can be the guy with nobody else," and he showed you he could be the guy with nobody else.
1: Exactly. So I think that speaks volumes to him. And we already know he's a tremendous player. But I think it's got to be the Joker, man. Like you said, guys, a walking triple double threat. He's just outstanding in every phase of the game. And, you know, the Denver Nuggets are not an all star caliber team, but he keeps them in every game with his play. Especially
0: even since Jamal Murray went out. I mean, you thought there'd be a big fall off, but there hasn't been.
1: And that was, you know, something that really spoke volumes to his play was, okay, can he do it without Murray? And he absolutely did. Right. That You know, he kept that team competitive without Jamal Murray there. So I think it's got to be the Joker, man. It's a no-brainer. I wish I would have bet on him at the beginning of the year like our boy Tyler did, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, One other thing when it comes to votes, our guy, you know, I'll always think of him in his prime days, our guy Derek Rose. Is in the nomination for the sixth man of the year. Do you think
0: Derek could win that? I think Derek Rose should win the sixth man of the year. I also think Derek Rose should win the comeback player of the year. Ooh, I like I think he it. Could win both of those. Derek Rose has put the entire season together. And don't forget, he didn't start the year on the Knicks. That is true. That's something so that Derek a lot of people came don't think in about. Part way through, and you know that trade. He was on. He, he started with who? The Pistons. Yep. So you know, a, a team that was going nowhere, and everybody said, "Yeah, okay. Well, look, he's starting a point guard for a, a trash team. Yeah, he's getting it by default." Derek, Derek, after he went to the Knicks, man, he he was a pivotal piece of that. He he was critical every single night out there. He was. Scoring, he was assisting, he was defending, you know, being available for every game, not having the leading. I mean, that Knicks team, who on it is is playoff bound. Nobody, there, nobody. That team is ready for the playoffs. I think Derek is a big part of that. You know, not only on the court but in the locker room as well. He's like, (laughs) and at this point in his career, he's like having another coach out there. Now, I. I have said that I would not, if the price is right, I would not be opposed to seeing a backcourt next year for the Bulls of Derrick Rose and Zach Levine. You know, they say that Zach's willing to take less money. Some people say he's not. Some people say we're in on, the Bulls are in on Beal. Some people say the Bulls aren't in on Beal. I've heard CJ McCollum. There's a lot of different moving parts with this Bulls team because there's so many openings but you've got a Bulls team who's really ready to take off. You've got a young kid like Kobe White who isn't necessarily the point guard that Derek was by, you know, the assists and that. But Derek was never the, the lead in the league in assist type point guard. He was your seven, eight assists a game, but he was going to kill you with the ball, whether it was driving past you, shooting the three, shooting the mid-range, that, that, that floater that he is so beautiful that he could get all those moves, you know, Derek went to, the, went to the cup with just disregard for his own body and everybody around him. You know, he was going in there. He was going in there to make a statement. And I think to see the Bulls be now where they're ready to take off, what better picture can you think of than the Bulls finally getting back to the playoffs, and it's with Derek Rose leading leading that team. You know, especially Zach doesn't have any playoff experience. He's never played in the playoffs. You know, Kobe never played in the playoffs. There's a lot of teams or a lot of players on this team who have never seen the playoffs or know what it's like to get to the playoffs. So if you do that and you take a guy like Derrick Rose, who's from here, he's the Chicago kid. He's the guy that was supposed to take this team to to the promised land before. If you can get all of that in one move, and he's probably not expensive to everybody else, I don't see why you don't explore that. I mean, Derrick Rose is Chicago. He is the Bulls. What better way to do to get the Bulls over that hump than by bringing Derrick Rose home?
1: I don't disagree with you. If the money's right and everything, like you said, if they can work out a contract that makes sense for both Derrick and the organization, why not bring him home to Chicago? What what a better way for him to end his career, you know, if he came back to Chicago potentially – end his career where it all started. If he has a, a few productive years left and then he decides to end it, then, hey, he could retire a Bull. I would
0: I would love to see that, and, Ob- and obviously. Saying, and I'm not saying that, it, you know, you bring Derrick in it's an instant championship, but just the thought of the Bulls winning a championship with Derrick Rose at point guard holding up that trophy, I mean, is there anything more Chicago than that? Seeing Derrick no. climb up on that, that announcer's table and ho- hoist that trophy to – We all thought that the Bulls were going to, you know, win before. To see it now, especially now after everything he's been through, you know, a lot of people, they take their shots at Derek. But I'll tell you what, the man knows how to persevere. He's been through the amount of adversity he's been through. And did he handle everything right? No. But you know what? Today's day and age, and even you can look at whether it's where you work or whether it's a professional sports team with athletes, when do we really see both sides handle it the right way? A hundred percent. Usually at some point both sides do something where you're like, you know what? I probably wish I didn't do that, but to be now where you can give back to Derek and I'm not, I'm not saying charity cause he's earned it, but he's earned the opportunity to be a big part of this, this bulls team getting over to hump, And maybe it's, maybe he's just the bridge to get them over to the hump to when they get to the championship. Or maybe they, things just fall into place and Derek, Derek's here and they win a championship or they win their division, they they win a one seed. All of those things, it's, just, it's good for basketball. It's good for the Bulls. And honestly, as a Bulls fan and a, somebody who's from Chicago, there's nothing I want to see more than Derek Rose in that spot.
1: I don't disagree. I would love to see it. And, you know, our guy Angelo here is going crazy in the chat. He said – uh he gave his body for that city
0: and team. Absolutely. Like you said, I some of the he, moves. He they, literally gave his career for this team. He, uh, was playing, absolutely. he was playing in a game, and I'd have to think that if anybody was able to interview Tibbs and they gave him truth serum and he couldn't lie to you, I'd have to think that he would tell you he regrets having him in the game at that point. He was in a game that was over. They had won the game. There was nothing was going to change that game. And he had Derek in there and, you know, obviously you don't know anything like that's going to happen. It's a freak accident, you know, but I mean, from the ACL to the, to the meniscus, to everything else, he literally sacrificed his body to, for the love of the game and the love of Chicago. He did it for this city. He did it for this organization. And You know, I know a lot of people don't like to use the word deserve. I think he I think he's owed it. I think he's deserved that opportunity. And from what he's been able to do these last two seasons, I think he's earned the right to play on any team he wants to play on. Oh, I agree 100 percent, man. Like I said, I couldn't be happier or I wouldn't be
1: happier, I should say, as a Bulls fan to see Derek come home to Chicago, even if it's in a bench role. I don't care what sort of role it is. I would love to see him in a Bulls uniform next year. And I think that they could make it happen. You know, he's definitely a superior athlete. He's one of the guys, you know, in his prime was so absolutely crazy as an athlete just to see him slash through the paint like nobody else could. He's one of those guys that I always really enjoyed watching. And he was, you know, one of the bright spots that made me kind of fall in love with watching the Bulls again, so to speak, when... You know, it was that playoff season – or that playoff series uh, against Boston, man. I mean, I I remember watching every game and just the heart and determination that you saw out of that entire team that year. It was something that really made me get reinterested in the game of basketball. Yeah. With that being said, man, I wish nothing but the best for Derek, and I hope that, you know, moving – <clears throat> moving forward i hope he has success whether it is with the bulls or you know he stays with the knicks or moves to another organization wherever he's at i wish nothing but the best for him and i do hope that he wins the sixth man of the year Definitely. so we shall see what happens uh with that guys we are going to segue into some baseball talk because i've got a rant like no other about an old man that should be sleeping on the couch up in chicago but more on that when we uh come back real quick we're gonna take a Break here and get a quick word from our guy Paul over at Nick and Ivy Brewing in beautiful downtown Lockport, Illinois.
2: Hello. Or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y Brewing.com. Come in today for fresh brewed beer born and raised
1: in Lockport, Illinois. Again, guys, that was a quick word from our sponsor, Nick and Ivy, out in beautiful downtown Lockport, Illinois. Paul and his guy, Chad, are always making the best brews and great customer service there, great atmosphere. If you're in the area and you're looking to catch some live music. just a damn to, good beer. Just looking to have a damn good beer, be sure to stop out there. The Fat Mike beer is going to be coming out here, I think, in about six weeks or so,
0: Yeah, about six a month. About six so. weeks. I
1: can't wait. I can't wait to try that. I'm excited to see what the guys have done there. But, man, beautiful place out there in Lockport and Nick and Ivy. With that being said, now all bets are off, Vince, because I am going to get a little bit loud about this next topic. I want to jump right into it, man. I hinted at it before the break. Tony Larusa, the grandfather of Chicago, may I say, at this point. Now, in all reality, I mean – Got a seventy-six-year-old manager managing a young group of guys in the White Sox. Obviously, the White Sox right now are the best team in baseball. That's no secret. They've played at an extremely high level, but man, we had some very controversial comments and actions. Both, I would say, out of Tony La Russa this past week. You know, it all started in that. It all started in that uh, series with the Twins when uh the home run was hit by our guy you mean Mercedes you know first before I even dive into that I want to say Mercedes is playing on a rookie deal man I mean the guy's making 28 years old 28 years old he's playing on a rookie deal he's making just over 500k which is not significant money at all to be in the MLB right he is fighting literally fighting for his next contract I want, I want everybody to kind of take that into perspective when I say what I'm going to say about this topic. Tony La Russa is a dinosaur, man. He is from a different era of baseball, and that's fine. I get it. But when it's 3-0 and and they have a position player in there that's only throwing a 47-mile-an-hour ball and he throws it down the middle of the plate, I get that Tony said, take the pitch what is the difference if he cracks that homer on 3 and 0 or he cracks it on 3 and 1 or even 3 and 2 what's the difference to me it's nothing i would i would definitely argue that if you want to talk about unwritten rules and sportsmanship and things like that well don't be down so many runs <laughs> if if you really want to i honestly it sounds silly to say but if you want to talk about sportman, sportsmanship and things like that, I get it. Be respectful, but don't just walk up to the plate and swing at the dirt, or let the guy throw let the guy throw you onto base or whatever. That's not what the game of baseball is about. Mercedes is out there; he's literally fighting for a contract. He's fighting for his future. Why is he not going to make every swing be impactful and count? He wants his stat line to be as good as it can be at the end of the season. And you know, if it gets really that bad in a game where it's a complete blowout like that game against the Twins was, they always have the option to forfeit. That's always on the table. So to me, for Tony to go out there and I get it, he said take the pitch. He didn't take the pitch. That's something they can discuss in the clubhouse. That doesn't need to be out in front of the media. And you don't stand in the media and say – He's going to pay for that internally. He's going to feel that with this family. And then the guy plays the next game. So what really was the punishment? You know, you come out here and you make some silly comments like that. That's where you start to divide a locker room. That's where guys lose faith in you. And to me, that's, it was unacceptable for him to say that comment in the first place. And before we move on to what else transpired there Vince I want to know your thoughts on just that initial piece.
0: Well, it's kind of hard for me to answer the first piece without the second piece. But I'm going to try. Okay. If, I I personally consider myself a student of the base of the game of baseball, a fan of the history of baseball and the old way it was played. However, I think unwritten rules are the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. I understand you don't throw at the other team's pitcher. I understand you don't cleat somebody when you're sliding into the base. You don't go out of your way, as we've seen some players before, the famous Jose Batista Sliding directly into the second baseman rather than the base. If right. he's on the base and you slide into him, all bets are off. Sliding away from the base just to purposely slide into somebody that could result in injury, I'm not for that. I get those unwritten rules, if you will. Okay. Not swinging on 3 0 is honestly, you sound, when they complain about it, they sound like a bitch. They sound like, well, I got behind on this guy and I threw a 3-0 fastball and he hit it out. What an asshole. Why'd you throw a 3-0 fastball down the middle of the plate? Don't put yourself in that position, right? Even even for even without all that, you can throw a strike without throwing it down the middle of the plate. Agreed. There's a strike also, zone for a reason. For this exact topic we're talking about, I think Trevor Bauer said it per, said it best. Don't know if you saw his quote. It basically said something along the lines of, look, attention, everybody. If you hit a 3-0 fastball or a 3-0 pitch for a home run off me, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be upset, all this and that. Right. I feel when, a, when a team says, you know what, We don't we don't feel this game is worth us pitching a pitcher right now because we're going to lose anyways, so we're just going to go ahead and put – Anthony Rizzo, or a right fielder, or whoever in the game, all bets, all bets are, off. are off. You're Thank putting you. a position pitcher in saying, you know what, I could give two shits about this game, so I'm just going to put somebody else in that really can't do this. They're just going to throw the right. bitch up there, and hopefully they get somebody out of you, hit it into an out. If Mercedes swings 3-0, and he fouls it off, he pops up, everybody's going to say, well, why'd you why'd you swing 3-0? You shouldn't swing 3-0. His job is to hit the ball and get on base. If it's a home run, awesome. If it's not, his yes. job is to get on base. If you're going to lob me up a fastball, let's say he takes that pitch, a 45-mile-an-hour pitch over the middle of the plate. Let's say he takes that pitch. He fouls off the next pitch. And the third pitch comes in so fucking slow that he accidentally swings and misses at it, and now he's out. So I should risk being out because I let that first pitch come in that was right over the middle of the plate? I no. think I think the unwritten rules are stupid. They talk about baseball and how to reach today's fans. The way to reach today's fans is stop all this dumbass talk about unwritten rules and things you can and can't do. You talk about the average fan enjoying the game. You think all those people who were at the game live and saw Mercedes hit the ro- hit the home run, you think all those average fans, not the the people who stand on their soapbox for baseball, but the average fan, you think the 18- to 22-year-olds were at the game going, oh, what a dickhead. He just hit that out on 3-0. No, they, abso- they, they absolutely were. The they want to see him hit the fucking ball.
1: That's what you come to see, right, is run scored.
0: right. And this is the part where I say I, I can't not talk about the, what transpired after that. All that being said, if Tony comes out after the game and says, "Well, they, you know," because obviously they're going to ask about it, he goes, "Well, I, I probably would have preferred him not to swing at three zero. We had to. He doesn't have to talk about the take sign, but even if he did, you know, we we probably want to have a different mindset when we go up there. We'll we'll discuss that internally and." We'll, we'll we'll address it before the next game. Cool. Whatever. Do I That's... agree with you? No, Tony, I don't. I think you sound like a dumbass. I think but you sound would be like the... an old-ass dude who doesn't, shouldn't be managing a team anymore. But it is what it is. The point that I lost complete respect for Larusa, and I said he should be fired. For those of you that follow the Turtles Take Facebook and Twitter account, I posted this on both. I felt he should have been fired immediately was when they asked about your your mean Mercedes being hit or, I'm sorry, the ball being thrown behind him by the Minnesota Twins and him saying, I have no problem with the way they dealt with it. First off, even if you feel that way, how dare you go out in the media and say that you back what the Minnesota Twins just did to your fucking player, your job, whether it's a boss, a manager in baseball, you at your job, or other people who lead at their job is to protect the people who work for you, to protect the people yes. who come and sacrifice their body and their time to be great for you, not for you to ever say, <clears throat> "Yeah, you want? He basically told the league, Well, if we ever swing 3 0, go ahead and throw the fucking ball at my player because I think he deserves it. And, yeah,
1: I just want to touch on that real quick. That was even hard for me to hear you repeat, and I've I've heard it many times. How do you not have the back of your player? You are the leader. You're, I don't want to say the face, but as a manager, you're the leader of this organization. You are there to get the best out of your players, and you need to support your players. It's absolutely ridiculous that Tony LaRussa stood out there and said that just because he thinks he's right about these unwritten rules. And like you said when we were touching on the first portion of it, Get out of here with that shit. When you put a position player in there, you have disre- – I don't want to say disrespected, you've disregarded every bit of integrity that that game had. So if he wants to go out there and swing on 3-0 and he cracks it out of the park, it's not easy to hit a 47-mile-an-hour ball even if it's down the middle of the plate out of the park due to exit velocity. So it's somewhat impressive in its own that it was <clears throat> that it was even able to be hit out of the park. With that being said, you just have to back your players. You have to have their back 100%. And then, to top it all off, to put the icing on the the shit sandwich, I guess I'll say, he goes out there the following day, uh, some comments were made by Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn was being fully supportive of Mercedes on Twitter, I believe, and... When TLR was asked about that, his response was, well, Lance has a locker and I have an office. Are you fucking kidding me? Is it 1960? Get out of here with that shit. This is a different generation. And that's one thing that Tony fails to realize is players are players and their opinions are more respected and more well-known now than they ever have been in the game of baseball. And, yes, that's in part due to social media, but it's also in part to – Every, every league that has professional sports teams allowing players to voice their opinion and wanting to hear their opinions. You can't go out there and say something like that. that I means- get <clears throat> I get what he was trying to say is, I'm the boss, so it doesn't really matter. That's, that's toxic leadership. That's the kind of thing that divides a locker room or if it was in a work environment, it would divide a company and make employees not happy to be there. That's the exact thing that Tony's doing with a comment like that. And you know, I get it they're in first place. That's the only reason that nobody's even talking about his job seriously is because they're in first place. But they're not in they're not in first place because of Tony Larosa. I think they're in first place in spite of him. I get it he's made some pitching changes and stuff like that, but some of the pitching changes he he's made this year have been questionable at best. Yes, they're the best team in baseball but I honestly believe it's in spite of him, not because of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at it and some of the things that have happened over the course of this season, the not knowing the rule for extra innings, the, you know, looking like he's asleep during part of the games, the different (laughs) things, I mean, all that. And then you you put in the fact, yes, they're in first place. But do you know why they're in first place? because they have a run differential that's best in the majors. Do you know how you get a high run differential? You hit fucking 3-0 meatballs <laughs> out of the park. Exactly. It, it's what you do. You score as much as you can. That's how you get the high run differential is by scoring runs. You want to score runs, you hit the fucking pitches that you can hit out. I mean, you're talking about a sport that if you get a hit, not a home run, just a hit, three out of every ten times you're at the plate, you're a Hall of Fame pitch, or you're a Hall of Famer. 30 percent of the time yeah and that's i mean all you need to do is be successful 30 percent of the time and you're a hall of famer
1: and that's not necessarily something i agree with but i don't want to stray from this topic too no, much but I,
0: so what i'm saying is you take a sport that is not an easy sport to get hits in it's not yes you have you know it's one of the hardest things to do in baseball or in sports is hit a baseball it comes so fast you have such little time so when you do have the opportunity to hit a ball, you hit the fucking ball. Now you I'll, have a problem he passed, out. he he ignored your sign. That's something to talk about. And like talk about in the bull, in the dugout, in the clubhouse, in the tunnel, whatever it is, you know, but all this started because he was on the top step chirping before Mercedes even got back to the dugout. So then people tried to give him the benefit of the doubt and said, well, maybe he was upset with the Twins. No, no, he was just pissed off that his player just hit a home run. Yeah, he came out and made it clear. He was pissed off that his player hit a home run. How ridiculous is that? I just, I I thought it was a bad hire in the first place. I thought it's been a bad hire the whole year. And when he didn't have his back, I'm sorry, I don't care if he was my friend or not. As Reinsdorf, I would have had to fire him that night that night he would have been gone
1: yeah and that's the thing that I want to touch on too he is absolutely Jerry Reinsdorf's guy it's no secret you know they're close friends Tony said hey I'm interested in getting back into the game and Jerry said okay friend I'll give you a shot the
0: thing about Reinsdorf is Reinsdorf is loyal beyond a fault To, to a fault yeah beyond a fault he's loyal We've seen it with everybody. We've seen it with the Bulls. We've seen it with the White Sox. You know, Kenny Williams, when he he was no longer cutting it as a GM, he didn't get fired. He got promoted. He promoted Williams so that he could bring in a different GM and make Rick Hahn the GM, but never got rid of Kenny. When If it wasn't for AK and absolutely having no choice, but AK wanting him gone and everything else – you would have seen the same thing with the Bulls. He would have found a way to keep – he was going to make Gar Foreman the head of scouting. He was going to keep John Paxson as a president. He was going to do different things because he doesn't fire people. But yeah. when, you, when you no longer have the, have your players back and you go out of your way, like you said, him saying, well, there's a reason that I have an office, office and he has a locker is basically the same thing as when, that, as when the – the, the reporter or whoever it was told LeBron James, well, he should just shut up and dribble a basketball. Those things are, yeah. That, by no means does anybody have the right to tell anybody that. And as a manager, when you're supposed to be making players get the best out of them, all those things that go into being a manager, for you to say, Well, that's why I have an office and you have a locker, whereas Lance Lynn, this isn't his first his first year in the league. No. Lance Lynn isn't some young, some young hot hitter. They hit a home run and felt like he did what he deserved or he did what he was allowed to do. He is a veteran pitcher who said, look, the kid did what he's supposed to do. They gave him a ball and he mashed it. And I go back to my real statement. If you don't want guys to swing 3-0 and you don't want guys to swing when you have a position player in the mound, put a fucking pitcher in there who's going to throw the ball 96 or 97 and Mercedes has to hit the fucking ball. Not one that's going to throw yeah. a five mile an hour joke of a pitch. I mean, you saw it with the Cubs. Anthony Rizzo goes into pitch. He strikes out Freddie Freeman. Everybody's laughing their ass off. Is that what you'd rather have happen to your team? You know, you see Javi Baez bat left-handed against position players because he said this is fucking stupid. I, this is somebody yeah. in who's not a pitcher. I'm a professional hitter. That's how much you think of me? You're going to let me face some fucking position, a first baseman or a An outfielder or whatever the position they play, that's you're gonna bring them into pitch to me when I'm a professional hitter. I'm gonna hit this ball as far as I can. And I don't blame them. It's what I would do too. Yeah, and
1: I mean, like you said, you put a guy in there that's only gonna throw a 50 mile an hour fastball down the center of the plate. Yeah, I'm gonna mash it out of the park. I don't the unwritten rules are dead as soon as that position player gets on the mound. I don't even want to say as soon as that position player gets on the mound. It is 2021. It's the unwritten rules are dead. It's time to move on. on. Yes. It is not 1980. This is not, you know, this is not baseball of the past. This is baseball right. of the future. You want to allow all these things. You want to allow the bat flips, the crazy tracking of the home run, standing right. there staring at the ball. That's not some of those things I don't even agree with. But that is baseball today. Yep. The unwritten rules are dead. Get out of here with that shit. Right. Get, I don't agree with a lot of things the MLB is doing. I don't like the extra innings rule with the runner on second, but that's the way it is, and that's the reality of what this league's moving towards because they want it to be about scoring and they want the games to be faster. Yeah, I mean,
0: you, you got double headers that the games are seven innings because it's a double header. You got extra innings where a guy starts on second base. Those things we're not going to talk about, but hitting a swinging at a 3-0 pitch we're going to talk about, you know, right. The the worst, and you know, I blame the managers. You know, it goes back to the thing last year or the year before with Fernando Tatis Jr. You got a 19-year-old kid at the time who's the face of the of the of the big league, face of the league already at such a young age. He hits a grand slam on a three-o pitch, and after the game, same thing. The manager's gonna say, Oh, he should have done that. That's that's bullshit. It's not how you at what point you a 3-0 pitch means I don't have to have my players back? Like and you saw what right. happened at the end of the year. San Diego fired him. They fired that manager. They said, you know what? You're not a good fit for this team. Because he's not. If you don't have the players back, you're not a good fit for the team. You know, I brought this up in our little group chat we have, and our guy fat Mike, man, he was all over man LaRusa this, LaRusa that, Larusa. this man, fuck LaRusa. The those White Sox would be the best team in baseball with anybody else at Manager 2. He, what has he done that you that he could claim or anybody could claim? Oh, yeah, Tony LaRusso is the reason they're winning these games. Get out of here with that bullshit. Get out of here with that. Get out of here with the fact that he doesn't have to have his players back or that you have you there's nothing wrong with what he said. Everything he said is wrong, and everything he represents after saying that is completely wrong and not what I would want my team or my the manager of my team to represent or give the appearance that that's what my team represents. I agree, and
1: I think it'll be interesting to see if this locker room gets a little bit more divided moving forward. I certainly think we're going to see more tension in the locker room as the season progresses. I'll
0: tell you what. There's no way we can. They're all saying the right thing right now. Tim Anderson came out today in support of LaRuza. Everybody has – it's really easy to do when you're in first place in the majors. You're the best record in, in, in baseball, and you're winning games every day. Let them lose five out of ten, five out of eight, something like that, four in a row, and let's see if those players still feel the same way. Those things, yeah, let don't, them, those things don't just get forgot about, and they just get covered until you start losing.
1: Yeah, let them hit that 20-game that slump where they have a 500 or record 500 record or below and then let's see how unified the locker room. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, you look at a guy like Ozzy when he was when he was with the Sox. And again, I'm a diehard Cup fan, but I'll give Ozzy credit. You hit one of his players, you were getting drilled. That's bottom yeah. line.
1: That's Ozzy did a lot of things, and he, and he was crazy as could be. At some point, I don't want to say crazy, but just you know, he was very outlandish and outspoken with uh, some of some of the way that he handled the press and things like that, but he had his players' backs 110% of the time. And Tony has proven time and time again that it's his way or the highway mentality, and that's so toxic, especially when you have a young team that's been taught it's okay to vocalize your opinion. It's okay to speak up. And don't get me wrong, that is your manager. You need to have a certain level of respect for him. But when he's going completely off the rails and being disrespectful towards you, all bets are off, man. I I cannot back Tony Larusa. And like like you said, if it wasn't for this team being in first place, I think opinions would be much different. So, you know, we could sit here and talk about this all night, Vince. It's something that had me fired up all week, man. But I want to close the show on a little bit more of a positive note. How about these Cubs?
0: you know the cubs they're they're kind of an interesting story this year you know they everybody had that high hopes that this was going to be the rebound year then we sell off darvish for you know 5 cents on the dollar we Bad sell off, we sell off all these players that you know we thought were going to be a part of this team you know whether trade or letting guys go whatever you know whatever it may take and then we get we went from okay we're going to compete to you know what this year is not about competing. It's about getting dead money off the books and progressing the next year. You even had your GM come out and tell you that they're not looking to improve this year. They're just getting through the year. And then the season starts and you are trash. And all of a sudden you look up and here we sit coming up on June and them damn Cubs are right in it. You know, (laughs) you, you, you just can't figure out what this team is. You know, Chris Bryant, Is looks like Chris Bryant. He looks like the guy that you wanted him to be. You know, uh, some of the guys still aren't, you know, pulling their weight, having their type of year you want them to, but he is. He's playing left field every day. He's playing center field. He's playing different positions for you. And he's hitting the fucking baseball, and that's what you're paying him to do, and that's what you want him around to do. And honestly, the the pitching hasn't been that bad. I mean, you know, for a a team that – had very, very, very glaring holes in in the rotation, in the bullpen, around the diamond. Now we look up and they're right there in the thick of things here as June comes up. You know, it really you have to wonder you if you're Jed Hoyer and now all of a sudden your team's playing the way they are. I, I mean, if it's me, I'd have a I would have to not only do I have to get the price back for him because he's playing like the MVP. But you can't just trade off Chris Bryant for nothing, because it's no. a wasted year anymore. Because it's all of a sudden it's not, it's not a wasted season. You're competing. You're especially you're, you know, uh, from what we heard, it's all about you know everybody lost so much money during COVID. Well, now as Chicago has announced that they're going to be able to go to sixty percent capacity, how how could you justify trading off your hottest player right now? when everybody right. else is really hoping you resign him. You know, and then well, it turns and- out that Javi Baez turned down $175 million in the offseason so that we could once again watch him struggle to hit 200 You know, then you have to think as though he probably should have taken that fucking contract because who's going to offer him $175 million now? Not me. I no. wouldn't. Why are you going to pay him? He hasn't done shit in three years. Why are you going to pay him like it? So, you know, it's it's hard to tell what these Cubs are going to do. You know, they're they're fun to watch, man. I, I like Jock Peterson. I thought that was a good move when they went out and got him. He's showing that now. You know, it, it's obviously you try to not get over the top where you're like, oh, they got to go move prospects for this guy or trade for this guy because you're probably not going to compete for a World Series this year. No. But as long as you're competing, you can't trade off the parts either. So it puts them in a very, very – Interesting scenario for first-time GM Jed Hoyer over there to navigate this ship through the through the through the rocks and the pitfalls that are in front of them now.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too. I mean, you look at this Cubs team; nobody expected them to be where they're at. Currently, they're sitting a game above five hundred, and as we speak right now, they're beating the Cardinals two to one in the fifth inning. So, you know, nobody thought that the Cubs were going to be it's still early. They're mm-hmm. twenty-two and twenty-one right now. We're only forty-three games into the regular season. There's still one hundred and nineteen games to be played. Whatever. That's math. But That's realistically,
0: nice and quick.
1: Realistically, uh, you know, I it's the middle of the road, and it's not where we need this team to be. This team either needs to take a stride and be extremely successful, way more successful than we thought they would be, or I hate to say it, but they need to be below 500, and that gives them the ability to move on from a guy like Chris Bryant or Baez or Rizzo. I personally think that you keep Chris Bryant on this team. You do everything you can to keep him in Chicago, and I think you move on from – either Baez or Rizzo, depending on the situation with the contract negotiations. I think it's been – In that
0: scenario, the most likely there is Baez because I think Rizzo – I don't think Rizzo at this point is trying to play anywhere other than Chicago. Yeah, you know – I think he's the easiest to get a deal done out of the
1: three of them. You know, I do understand your point there, Vince. I know he's been vocal about wanting to play in Chicago the rest of his career. But
0: there were also some tension with contract negotiations with Riz before the season you know, started, right? Contract talks are tricky, you know. You, you everybody has their own interpretation of what something means.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: And, and a lot of reports came out. Oh, they he set a hard deadline. If he has not signed it by then, he's not going to. And then you you know they interviewed him. He said it's not a not signing thing. He said, and we're always going to listen if they send us a contract. He said it's just for me I want to focus on being the best baseball player I could be and that's not worrying about my contract it's trusting that it's going to get worked out trusting that we're going to be yeah. able to have those conversations and trust each other where we don't have to have them during the season there's a lot of guys who don't like to negotiate during the season there's a lot of teams that don't like to negotiate during the season you know uh, when people talk about it, all I say is it really it comes down to you're not willing to do something until you are you know, right. the Cubs send over a contract and he likes the offer, I, I don't see him going, well, I'm not going to sign that because the season's going on, but I really like that contract. Who's going to sign it? So, you know, it's it's it, the deadline, you know, is a month away, a month and a half away, so it'll be very interesting to see what these Cubs do. Do they go on a tear here and put themselves in a position to maybe acquire somebody at the deadline? Do they you know, fall off here in the next month and are now in a position to sell people off? Or are they going to be that middle of the road where you're not willing to go get anybody and spend extra money, but you're not willing to let anybody go either? And then it comes to the offseason. Do you lose anybody because of it, you know, that you could have gotten something for? So not uh, not a smooth road ahead of Mr.
1: Hoyer. No, not at all. I don't wish to be in Jed's position at all. Uh, obviously a lot of us think that we could do better at managing teams, but <clears throat> I, the Cubs are in a tough, tricky position, man. They've got a lot of big decisions to make here. And like you said, are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? I don't think we can really answer that now. I think we have to see over the next four weeks how, this, how the season progresses. Is the team there where they're going to be competing at a serious high level and then go from there? if they're not they're obviously going to be sellers. If they are, maybe they go out and make a couple acquisitions and see if they can float this thing into the playoffs or maybe they just stay five, you know, 500 middle of the road and they don't acquire anyone. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Only time will tell there. Now before we wrap it up, Vince, I want to take a quick word here guys from I got one, one of- more topic, one more take when you when you bring it back before oh, we Oh, absolutely no problem before we come back to vince's final thought we're going to play a quick word from our sponsor here at the white oak farm venue honey will you marry me
0: yes 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 let's get out of here
2: come to indiana's premier venue come to the farm come see all the wildlife come to white oak farm venue in
1: michigan city indiana Come to our 80-acre sanctuary right off I-94 in Michigan City, Indiana.
2: Come see all we have to offer from two brand-new
1: Amish-built barns with climate control. Come see the ponds with beautiful waterfalls, meadows and wildflowers, and so much more. Come see our secluded venue. After you enter our private road, you'll be in your own world away from it all. With outdoor ceremony spaces, wood-fired pizza ovens, and lots of fresh air.
2: Come enjoy Northwest Indiana's premier wedding venue, where you gather with your family and friends, stretch your legs, and enjoy the most memorable day of your life.
1: Visit White Oak Farm Venue at WhiteOakFarmVenue.com or on Facebook slash Instagram. All right, guys, that was a quick word from one of our sponsors here at 1252, the White Oak Farm Venue. All right, Vince, let's get back to it. You said you got one final thought before we wrap the show up here. What do you got, brother?
0: My final thought is definitely Shohei Ohtani. Ohtani? This dude is out here leading the league in home runs, and he has a 2.10 ERA. He's got the same ERA as Max Scherzer, but he's leading the league in home runs. The other night, he threw 88 pitches and then went out and played right field. This dude, Crazy, right? this dude is as better than advertised as much as everybody, you know, shit on him when he first came over to the to the major leagues from Japan. And he, you know, he got hurt and then he had the arm injury. This I mean, this kid, he's got the from the pitching to the hitting to the outfield. I mean, he he's not just a guy that, you know, is a great pitcher or just a great hitter. He doesn't both. And then he's a guy that doesn't bolt. Like I say, he's leading the league in home runs with a, almost a below two ERA. Like the dude right. is absolutely out of his mind good. I mean, he's just he, – he put him on a bad Angels team with who now has no Mike Trout for six to eight weeks, and he still makes them fun to watch and must see because you never know what he's playing. He might start right. the game with DH and then end it right field. He might the, – the one game earlier this year – they gave up the DH because they had him hit because he was starting the game and they didn't want it out of his bat. Like that's right. unheard of to give up a DH because your pitcher is going to hit. Like, oh, yeah, my starting pitcher is betting cleanup today. Wait, what? <laughs> and then he goes out and he homers. Like the dude is just uh, blows He's, my mind how good this dude is. He is turning himself into the definition
1: of what a two-way player should be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously there's a few other guys who've done a little here and there, but this dude who does it, like I said, the other day threw 88 pitches and finished the game in right field. Like that's crazy. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's, I mean, it's unheard of right at that high of a level. I think it'll be interesting to see if we see any more prospects come out that are true Mm -hmm. two-way successful players, I would say. I mean, Obviously, it's still early in the experiment. I mean, to think about but. it, this
0: guy is is doing so good, and he's become such an amazing phenom that MLB The Show this year made their entire road to the show mode based off him. It's based off being a two-way player, which was never something you could do before. And this guy, he's absolutely changing the game.
1: Yeah, I I declined that option right away and chose to focus on fielding and hitting, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that's a separate that's a separate show. <laughs> right, right. No, but Vince, uh good point there. I'm glad you did bring up Otani because he is a tremendous player and I would love to see more of that in the future. That's exciting baseball. That's what Yeah. That type of player is what will draw young fans toward the game of baseball again. Yeah. You know, as long as he doesn't swing on 3 <laughs> 0. Right. Yeah. Follow the unwritten rules. Just <laughs> now. fuck the unwritten rules. Right. Absolutely. With that, with that being said, want to thank everybody that took the time to join us here today. Want to thank our sponsors, uh, Nick and Ivy Brewing, the Jonathan Darren team with Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group, uh, Mark Berardi Law Firm, and uh, the White Oak Farm Venue out there in beautiful Michigan City, Indiana. So thanks again, guys, for joining us. It's been fun. We look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, Make sure you tune in Sunday for the Grobstein and Schuster Express right here on 1252 Sports. And check out all the other shows we have in the lineup for the week. Uh, Great things going on here at 1252. So be sure to check out everybody on the entire 1252 team. Thank you again, guys. Have a good night.